Peace, beautiful people, and thank you for listening to the Peace of Food Wellness podcast. I am continuing with the Sisters of the Yam Black Women in Self Recovery by Bell Hooks series, and we are on chapter three. So, chapter three deals with work and working, and it's called Work Makes life sweet and I'll do the same as the last one um I might read the whole chapter I might not we'll see how it goes and then um I'll give my point of view and if you're following along I hope this book is something that is helping you I hope the journal prompts are helping you like I said last time I put the free journal prompts on um, my website. So if you go on my website, scroll down and you'll see the Sisters of the Yam journal. I came up with affirmations. I came up with journal prompts and some other exercises for you to do for your healing journey. And that resource is free from me to you. Um, So essentially, this is just my virtual book club. Um, and I'm doing it through my podcast for now. I am going to make some mini videos to put on TikTok to go along with each podcast. I'm doing that probably this week. So you can go on and see some videos of me talking about it and you can comment and let me know if you're following along. So let's get started. And like I said, this is chapter three of Sisters of the Yam. Work makes life sweet. I often heard this phrase growing up, mainly from old black folks who did not have jobs in the traditional sense of the word. They were usually self, self-employed, living off the land, selling fishing worms, picking up an odd job here and there. They were people who had a passion for work. They took pride in a job well done. My Aunt Margaret took in ironing. Folks brought her clothes from miles around because she was such an expert. That was in the days when using starch was common and she knew how to do an excellent job. Watching her iron with skill and grace was like watching a ballerina dance. Like all the other black girls raised in the 50s that I knew, it was clear to me that I would be a working woman. Even though our mother stayed home, raising her seven children, we saw her constantly at work, washing, ironing, cleaning, and cooking. She's an incredible cook. And she never excuse me, and she never allowed her six girls to imagine we would not be working women. No, she let us know that we would work and be proud of it. The vast majority of black women in the United States know in girlhood that we will be workers. Despite sexist and racist stereotypes about black women living off welfare, most black women who receive welfare have been in the workforce. In hard times, cotton mill girls 
one can read about black women who went to work in cotton mills, usually leaving farm labor, labor or domestic service. Katie Geneva Cannon remembers, it was always assumed that we would work. Work was a given in life, almost like breathing and sleeping. I'm always surprised when I hear people talking about somebody taking care of them because we always knew that we were going to work. Like older generations of Southern Black women, we were taught not only that we would be workers, but that there was no shame in doing any honest job. The Black women around us who worked as maids who stripped tobacco when it was the season were accorded dignity and respect. We learned in our black churches and in our schools that it was not what you did, but how you did it that mattered. A philosophy of work that emphasizes commitment to any task was useful to black people living in a racist society that for so many years made only certain jobs, usually service work or other labor deemed undesirable, available to us. Ooh, so yes, um, I love this point because when we think about how work is transforming now and work has transformed through the pandemic with like people working from home, people realizing that they um, are being treated poorly in the workplace, um, things are shifting now, not at a huge rate, but, well, no, I will say at a, at a, a huge rate, uh, things are shifting. People are demanding better treatment. People are recording people and calling them out, whether it's like customers, um, especially in the service industry. And I'm a huge advocate for any type of service industry people because I worked in the service industry for, and I'm still working in the service industry, but I've worked as a bartender, as a um, as a server, I've worked as a manager in restaurants. So I've worked in service industry on all levels, like from um, little hole-in-the-wall restaurants all the way up to um, high-end hotels. I've worked at uh, raw vegan restaurants. I've worked at so-called regular <laughs> restaurants. So I've worked at all types of places and witnessed all types of things like the way service industry people are treated sometimes is unbelievable unbelievable i can write a book about some of the poor treatment that i received and when you think about uh tipping because that's always a huge debate um especially in black culture i should do a whole video about that or podcast but the culture within that is stemmed in racism which a lot of people don't even know so when you start to look at the bigger picture of like why do certain people look down on service industry people or why isn't that job considered um a 
a career because a lot of times you know you don't expect someone that's a waitress to be a career waitress or a career bartender but there are a lot of people doing that for lots of reasons and i've gotten into debates with people about like well if you don't like it go find go work in another type of industry yes but there's always a need for it right we can always say like oh everyone can be an entrepreneur um, everyone can start their own job. However, who is going to work um, in these service industry positions? And some people really love those jobs. I know I love service industry based jobs. That's why even piece of food is a service industry pay, um, um, job or career because I'm serving people like literally every job you're serving people in some type of way, even if it isn't my customer service. So let me read that again. A philosophy of work that emphasizes commitment to any task was useful to black people living in a racist society that for so many years made only certain jobs, usually service work or other labor deemed under undesirable available to us just as many buddhist traditions teach that any task becomes sacred when we do it mindfully with care southern black work traditions taught us the importance of working with integrity irrespective of the task and i think all of that is steeped in um or connected to perfectionism as well and that need and want to perform in like this perfect way um, so you don't get in trouble so you uh, present yourself in a certain light in public like even when we think of code switching that's <laughs> that's a huge huge topic that I love because it is a thing and it is something that um, a lot of black people and I'm sure other cultures as well have adapted to doing. And I hate saying to, to survive, but like to fit in, um, to be so-called more professional. And I'm saying that in quotation marks, but yeah, code switching is really interesting, but I don't want to um, go off of this topic here. Um, continuing on, yet these attitudes towards work did not blind anyone to the reality that racism made it difficult to work for white people. It took gumption to work with integrity in settings where white folks were disrespectful and downright hateful. And it was obvious to me as a child that the black people who were saying work makes life sweet were the folks who did not work for white people, who did what they wanted to do. For example, those who sold fishing worms were usually folks who loved to fish. Clearly, there was a meaningful connection between positive thinking about work and those who did the work that they had chosen. So that is another um, huge explosion that has happened over the last few years with people starting their own businesses, really seeking out um, their passions and rethinking this whole working five days a week or 
up to seven days a week and essentially killing yourself, stressing yourself out 40 plus hours a week and um, not even making ends meet. Oh, that rhymed. <laughs> um, let's see if I wrote any notes over here. Well, okay. I do have some comments on, because I, I want to connect everything to the present time as well. Because not only are people leaving uh, the workforce in large amounts, um, people are starting to talk about their experiences with uh, working with racism and how stressful that is, how you have, how that is another layer. And Bell, you know, Bell Hooks is touching upon this where, yes, if you are um, a woman in the workforce and you maybe work somewhere where it's mostly men, you are going to be dealt a, probably a lot of sexual harassment, maybe some sexual assault, um, trying to grow thicker skin because, you know, let me keep my head down, let me not go to HR to report this, you know, that is literally service industry. And I'm sure a lot of other service industries too that are male dominated where that is one of the layers. I know for myself, I had to grow a thicker skin being uh, sometimes the only black person and sometimes being the only uh, woman in certain uh, jobs I worked at or certain, yeah, yeah, certain jobs, especially in the service industry and in certain uh, levels of the ser service industry too. I've worked with men who have been fired for sexual harassment and then rehired. Like I've worked with people who are constantly being sexually harassed. I've been stalked at restaurants I've worked at. I've been sexually harassed, sexually. I won't say, nothing stands out to me about SA, but I've gone through it and sometimes you grow that thick skin where you la you learn to laugh things off, right? So what I'm getting to is the intersectionality of of these different experiences. So that one being a woman and then add to it the layer of being a black woman, woman of color, um tag on religion, so forth, like I talked about in the last podcast, all these layers. And that was what Bell Hooks was trying to express to people that these experiences are different for all of us, right? So anyway, moving forward to what I was trying to get to, what was I trying to go into once I was talking about, oh man, intersectionality and oh now I lost my train of thought so anyway let me move on and if that point comes back I will go back to it so people oh yeah people leaving the workforce oh my god it never fails every time I go to record something my animals act up <laughs> so they're in the background anyway the the drones of people leaving the workforce, starting businesses, uh, maybe taking their um, hobbies and turning it into a business, maybe just 
doing more hobbies and things that you love so that you are alleviating stress from the workplace. So, like I said, this is something that is needed because a lot of, a lot more people, oh yeah, this was a point I was making. A lot more people are talking about microaggressions in the workplace. A lot more people are opening the conversation of race uh, in the workplace and how it affects them. That's the point I was trying to make. Like I've seen lots of videos online with uh, people talking about how, um, microaggressions have affected them from and especially from white women uh, so that is uh, an interesting topic <clears throat> and I advise you if I didn't mention this in the other I think I did but go watch the movie master and especially because now we're in we're almost a Hollywood and Hollywood we're almost to Halloween and um, Master is kind of a play on, and these types of movies are so interesting to me, a play on race, race and a thriller. So racism combined with a thriller, like it's really interesting. Kind of if you want to think about that show, Them which I could not watch. I could not stomach it. Like some of these um, really traumatic black movies are, I think they're just playing with us, but that's a whole nother topic again. But this particular movie, this still like messed with me, but it's talking about the experience of black women in um, academia. So in these white, really white centered universities and their experiences from a student, an experience from a mixed woman, uh, where it's kind of a play on, um, I hate to use this term and I'm not using it. So like mixed member. So if you studied African-American studies, then you remember, um, the tragic, mixed person. I don't I won't use the derogatory word, okay? The tragic mixed person. And I feel like that's what um one of the characters in this movie was uh portraying. She didn't know how to identify and then uh the really successful black uh woman who is uh, essentially the headmaster on campus. I'm not gonna give you any spoil spoiler alerts, but it would be an interesting movie for us to discuss maybe on a live or something uh, and connect it to this book and the experience of black women uh, on all levels and especially in white centered uh, spaces. So moving on. Where are we at? Okay, we're at 19 minutes. So, I touched upon, no, I haven't gotten there yet. <clears throat> Continuing with reading, most of us did not enter the workforce thinking of work in terms of finding a calling or a vocation. Instead, we thought of work as a way to make money. Many of us started our work lives early and we worked to acquire money to buy necessities. Some of us worked to buy school books, 
uh, or needed or desired clothing. Yeah, I started working, my first job was a computer camp at my job, I, at my job, at my church when I was younger. I think I was 14 when I got my first job at uh, my church. And essentially we were camp counselors for a computer camp. Um, and then my first real job was TJ Maxx, which was I think everyone's first job in my home <laughs> hometown. But um, the camp counseling one, that was fun because I worked with like my church friends and stuff and we, it was just fun. Um, working at TJ Maxx, not so much. Like I think that was stressful when I started to work when I was still in high school, like that was a bit much. But it did teach me at a young age to uh, work hard and like my work ethics, I think, developed. And again, this doesn't mean that that is what should happen in a society. Um, yeah, that's all. Yeah. Anyway, let me continue on. Despite the emphasis on right livelihood, that was present. Wait. Despite the emphasis on right livelihood that was present in our life growing up, my sisters and I were more inclined to think of work in relation to doing what you needed to do to get money to buy what you wanted. Yeah, and this is an interesting topic when we think about our relationship to money, our relationship to work, and I think every there is a spectrum for that. There are people who have like, a mindset or like I guess what I imply you to do is to really take a look at your money mindset and how you uh, think about money how you were taught about money and within the black community we do know that financial liter literacy or financial education was definitely not something high on the list that a lot of us were taught and I'm not saying all but on a collective level, we do know this. Like there, yes, were definitely things that held us uh, back, such as uh, redlining, not being able to accumulate land, so we don't have that wealth to pass down in our families, things like that, that have affected our money and are then affected our money mindset. And how did your people teach you to look at money? So I think that's an interesting topic to connect to with this. Because within that, within that spiritual work, I believe it's connected to our root chakra, right? So dealing with your foundation of your family. So what were those things that you taught in connection to money? Um, I know for myself is... Um, saving wasn't something that I was taught about. Um, the whole paycheck to paycheck thing was just the norm. So that is something that I think when I, when I think about like things that are made to be normal, that are dysfunctional. But then if you, when you look deep, deeper into it, it's like, Oh, it's, 
it's um, steeped in white supremacy. It's steeped in um, systematic racism. It's steeped in all of those things, right? So how do you, we then fix it within us? Uh, so <laughs> connecting that to your money mindset is huge because as you're healing, um, as you're doing like your generational healing, there is a connection to usually money somehow when you, when you think about it. Um, if you are looking at some things that you may have experienced, um, whether it is was physical money or just lack mindset, there's always going to be that link. Like, so I really advise you to, maybe I'll come up with some like um, journal prompts for money mindset. Okay, so moving on. And I want you to keep in mind, as I'm talking about this, I want you to think about like this in relation to what you do for work and how um, it's connected to, well, what we were just talking about, connecting to your money mindset. So how, when you think about working, like, are you just thinking about a paycheck or are you thinking about this is my passion? Like, I love waking up to this every morning. Um, or are you thinking about like how you're serving people or are you looking at your customers with like hate and like, oh, I hate being here um, type of way? Like, where are you with where you're at with your career? Um, and maybe you own a business and you're not not happy where you're at so you can shift those things but you have to acknowledge them first so writing about them and really thinking about where you're where you are right now in your career and where you want to be do you even want a career do you want to like a lot of people are moving into I hate you know the whole influencer space literally anybody can be an influencer or a content creator this will be my little motivation speech <laughs> right now. Anything that you're passionate about, and it doesn't mean you you have to quit your job or you have to turn into an entrepreneur, but think about like things that you're really passionate about. It could be the weirdest thing, like, and weird is not a bad thing. Like, it could be the most unique thing. It could be the most... Like, it could be a thing that you probably think no one has any interest in, but you would, you like would be surprised. Like, someone, there are your people out there. Like, you could be like a magnet enthusiast. You collect magnets from around the world, and there's unique, I don't know, magnets that you seek out. <laughs> like super expensive magnets or super antique magnets. I bet you if you go on some platform, some social media platform right now and type in magnets, <laughs> you could probably find like a fan base and make like some little videos about the magnets you've kind of collected over the years. And then you could um, contact magnet companies and get sponsorships and they'll send you free ones and when you go to different when you travel to different places you can talk to different stores and get um free magnets 
if you post about them, I'm laughing, but this is real stuff. Like there is something for everyone, right? And everyone's gift looks different. Everyone is passionate about something different, but when you are excited about your work, I know it's cliche, but it's like, it doesn't feel like work, right? So if you are someone who is into essential oils, or you are um, a writer, like those are things that you can create content on and become an influencer and certain things like that if you want to do those things i'm just saying so there's something out there for everyone don't just think like well i don't have any talents i'm not creative i'm not this like throw those things out the window literally like flip those into you are creative everyone is creative in their own way on different levels for different reasons for different things so you have to get rid of like that negative self-talk that we were talking about in the last chapter like get rid of that because usually we are our own worst critics and yeah we say that but do you really sit down and pay attention to those negative thoughts that pop up in your mind I'm going on a little tangent here, but that's okay. It's all relevant. Really sit down and check those negative um, thoughts that are coming into your brain. That's why I always talk about practicing, practicing with affirmations, practicing with mirror work. You can do your affirmations in the work or practice with just uh, repetition of writing, repetition of listening repetition of reading them over and over and i'm not saying you have to read the same ones over and over create new affirmations for various parts of your life it could be the simplest part of your life maybe you have pets right i have pets and i wish they would behave when i'm trying to do work but maybe you can make some affirmation i can make some affirmations about them behaving right that that's like a simple Uh, thing you could think about, but you can go bigger, right? With affirmations, it's always, you could manifest more money. uh, You could manifest different things in your career. But when you start put like (laughs) really believing in that, that negative self talk that you spew to yourself, like, Once you start to notice it, like that is your self-awareness, then the next step is, okay, let me flip this into a positive thought. And I'm, this is not the toxic positivity where I'm like, okay, like don't feel your bad thoughts, like only good vibes or whatever. But no, I'm talking about not drowning in it, like I say all the time, and not then living it because your thoughts become your reality. So if you're constantly thinking that you're not creative, then okay, you're not creative. If you're constantly saying you're broke, okay, so you are broke. So we have to remember that our thought, our thoughts then become our reality. So I was reading something the other day and I can't remember what it was, but it You have to, this is how I work with my clients. You have to sit and take like a um, inventory of your life. So 
if you are someone who works in a certain industry where you take inventory every month or every quarter, what are you doing when you're taking inventory? Like say it's a store, okay, you're, you're counting all of your perfumes, you're counting all of your crystals, you're counting all of your books. So when you're taking an inventory of your life, and this is kind of like a snapshot into working with me, um, we, we sit down and we go through like a snapshot of each part of your life, right? And I'm, we don't always get to get, to, we don't always get to get to every single part of your life, but we get to the top things that you need to work on right now that will make huge, like huge changes and shifts in your life. So if it has to do with your career, then take a, a snapshot of where you are right now. How does your job make you feel? How do your coworkers make you feel? When you wake up in the morning, are you excited to go or are, are you always complaining about your job? Um, where do you picture yourself in one year at this place? Is this just about money? Are you passionate about it? So when you start to look at just that snapshot, like in the now, like what does it look like right now? Like, okay, oh, I love all of my coworkers. Oh, I don't really get along with my boss. I don't really love the tasks that I'm doing. I didn't picture myself working here, but it's okay. The money's okay. I get by. Like, how is it making you feel when you are talking about it, when you're answering it? Like, the first answers that pop up, pop up in your head. Not like the people-pleasing answers that you would, like, if you had an exit interview, you'd say or whatever. Or even to yourself, like... I wrote this in my journal the other day, like if you're an entrepreneur and you are um, using your gifts, like, and that could be anything, cooking, it could be um, like me, my health coaching, um, it could be you sell at a farmer's market, whatever, it could be any of that, but how are you feeling about those gifts? Like, are you utilizing them or are you letting them just... Um, I don't know. Are you just letting them go to waste? I don't like to use that term because I don't think anything's wasteful. Maybe you need a little bit more time to tweak things, but how are you feeling about those things? And I connected it to, okay, if you're an entrepreneur and like, if you're in the working on your spirituality as well, maybe you can look at your higher self as your manager, right? And your higher self is just you in a, another form. We can look at it like that. So when you're answering to your higher self, like sit down and write down like your job tasks. What is your, your, your higher self asking you to do in this position with your gifts and your talents and your abilities? Like what is it, um, what is your higher self telling you? Like, okay, did you finish this this week? And not in like a, a way where you're literally just working a nine to five at, as an entrepreneur, but you're still being in the flow. You're still flexible, um, but you are looking at it from a place like, okay, 
I only have myself to look to for validation. That's a, another thing that we have to be mindful of. Uh, so when you're looking at this, like, are you fulfilling these tasks? Are you fulfilling like your, I don't like to say your life's purpose because maybe you have many purposes and your idea of a purpose is different from mine. Every, it, there's this, there's always a spectrum and there's always different perspectives, but you get my drift on what I'm saying, like your gifts that you know that you need to share with the world that you were meant to do this, but you're scared and you're letting fear get in the way. You're letting, um, you're self-sabotaging. You're doing all of the things to let fear break you down. So with that being said, I'm going to go back to um, talking about this. And this is all connected to one of the main things that I love in this chapter is work versus wellness because I'm all about holistic wellness and putting yourself first because like everyone always says you can't water from an empty cup but we all have been there and we might be there right now so what is your work versus wellness looking like you can write about that and journal about that um, and again, there's uh, journal prompts in the freebie on my website. Okay, where did I leave off? In general, we have had unsatisfying work lives. Ironically, Mama entered the paid workforce very late, after we were all raised working for the school system and at times in domestic service. Yet, there are ways in which she has found work outside the home more rewarding than any of her children. The Black women I talked with about work tended to see jobs primarily as a means to an end as a way to make money to provide for material needs. Since so many working black women often have dependents, whether children or other relatives, they enter the workforce with the realistic conviction that they need to make money for survival purposes. So that is such an interesting thing to think of when we're thinking of like, how much pressure we put on kids like oh what do you want to be when you grow up but then we then we are it's kind of like um uh i guess a double-edged sword right on one one end of the sword no both end of the sword is capitalism but if we are being like drilled as young people like oh what do you want to be when you grow up oh i want to be a firefighter i want to be a cop i want to be a doctor i want to be a lawyer those were usually the ones that we were pushed, right? Those were pushed in our face for some reason. Like those were the only respectable jobs or professions to go into. Um, and those are usually, I guess, higher paying jobs in a way. In certain probably areas. Um, but what I'm trying to get at is, okay, if we're being taught that one thing in schools, like, oh, you should go for a job that you're going to make all of this money, but then maybe at home, we are being taught, oh, you just got to get a job to make ends meet. And I'm witnessing, like, my family struggling. I'm witnessing, um, you know, my family 
living paycheck to paycheck. And then on top of it, I'm not being taught real financial literacy and education. So I'm kind of confused about money. And I think that's how a lot of us grew up where it was like, you're taught one thing, but then you're kind of set up for failure. And especially when you get into the topic of you are 18 and allowed to sign on a dotted line for thousands and thousands of dollars of um, student loans and what that even means. Like, it's very weird. And I think, yeah, it's just very weird. So this is why I think it's it's um, very important for you to start looking at deeper things within your connection to money and in connection to your root chakra and in connection to your gifts too. All of that's connected. So next, or moving on. This attitude coupled with the reality of a job market that remains deeply shaped by racism and sexism means that as black women, we often end up working jobs that we do not like. That is 100% facts, like a lot. And it's not just uh, I have to say this sometimes, like not just black women, I know, but a lot of um, us do end up in jobs that we hate. We're just there to get that paycheck or something that I was not ashamed to do was kind of like job hop where if I didn't like it, I didn't like it. Why would I stay somewhere and be miserable? And it wasn't in my mind, these places weren't my career. So job hopping was a thing and I'm not advocating for that. I am someone, I have a lot of Aquarius placements in my chart. So I am the person at a job (laughs) that if I see bad treatment, I am going to talk about it. I'm going to say, hey guys, like I'm all for walking out. I'm all for standing up for our rights. Like, we don't have to take this BS. We don't have to take poor treatment. We don't have to take um, bad wages. So I'm that type of person. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying I do did this at every single job or anything, but I wasn't someone who was afraid to speak my mind in the workplace and a lot of people don't like that especially oh I'm a black woman so what does that lead me as I'm labeled as probably aggressive which I don't think I was really labeled aggressive at many places because um I mean I am a kind person but don't mess with me that's kind of who I am but I would not be afraid to speak up, speak my mind to managers later in life. Definitely not as a teenager or anything like that. Yeah, right. I'm sure I was walked all over at certain places. Um, Harley, please stop. Oh my gosh. So moving on, the this attitude. Okay. So yes, racism and sexism in the workplace. I talked a little bit about that. So maybe you want to write about your experience with that in the workplace, either past or present. Many of us feel like we do not have a lot of options. Of the women I interviewed, and again, this was in the 90s, this book, 
the ones who saw themselves as having options tended to have the highest levels of education. And I'm sure that still goes for, um, it does go for today, but again, going back to that entrepreneurship and more people starting their own positions, your education level isn't, doesn't matter um, as much. For some things, obviously, yes, you need to go to classes, you need to get certified, you need this, you need that. However, if you're starting a type, some type of business, business where you don't need like a degree and you're making so much money versus if you didn't have a degree and you applied to a job you, and you'd be making like $10 an hour or something, like that's amazing. So there are lots more opportunities now, especially with the internet and how things have formed over the last three years um, versus what probably was going on in the 90s when Bell Hook wrote this. However, this still exists, right? It still exists. Um, 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 um. Yet nearly all the black women I spoke with agreed that they would always choose to work even if they did not need to. It was only a very few black, excuse me, young black females, teenagers, and folks in their early 20s who talked with me about fantasy lives where they were, would be taken care of by someone. Speaking with young black women who rely on welfare benefits to survive economically, I found that overall they wanted to work. However, they are acutely aware of the difference between a job and a fulfilling vocation. Most of them felt that it would not be a sign of progress for them to get off welfare and work low-paying jobs in situations that could be stressful or dehumanizing. Why can't I say this? There's always a word I can't say every time. In situations that could be stressful or dehumanizing. Why couldn't I say that? Individuals receiving welfare who are trying to develop skills to attend school or college often find that they are treated with much greater hostility by social service workers than if they were just sitting at home watching television. One woman, woman seeking assistance was told by an angry white woman worker, welfare is not going to pay for you to get your BA. This young woman had been making many personal sacrifices to try and develop skills and educational resources that could enable her to be gainfully employed. And she was constantly disappointed by the level of resentment toward her whenever she needed to deal with social services. Through the years in my own working life, I have noticed that many black women do not like or enjoy their work. Uh, you know, I what I was going to say is we are rushed into choosing what we want to do, right? We are asked at such a young age. That's why I don't like asking children like, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? I like to ask them like, oh, what are your interests? Like what are like some of your favorite um, topics to study or subjects to study? Things like that because 
it puts too much pressure on children. It's re- I think it's really, some people may think like, yeah, well, what about, um, you know, getting kids started early with that mentality and blah, blah, blah. But that is it. Like, why can't we just let kids be kids? Like, why would you want your kid to think about work? You know what it is, <laughs> you know? And number two, it's like, we don't ha- even have enough time to see what we really like and develop that. Not a lot of us. Some of us do. I'm not saying everyone. I always have to emphasize that because there will always be someone who comes back and be like, well, not everyone. I get that. When I'm saying these things, it's not everyone. However, it can be the majority. Um, So we're taught that then we're pushed out of high school into um, college made to make really like life like okay at 18 years old you are going to know what you want to absolutely do for the rest of your life and that's it um so i think there's not enough opportunity to develop uh our hobbies because uh, you know a lot of school programs are being cut i love that more people are starting homeschooling especially within the black community i keep saying that I've been an advocate for homeschooling forever but the one thing that every every time I would hear was oh but your kid's gonna be socially awkward like do you have another comeback studies show that kids that are homeschooled are definitely um more um what's the word that I'm looking for I don't want to say like oh their IQ their IQs are higher they are just more, um, I guess, depending on the the homeschooling programs that I've looked into, that I've seen, and um, documentaries that I've watched. There's just a more, there's a variety of things that uh, a child can explore. There's more freedom in the way the child learns, because that's another thing linked to racism within um, schooling is a lot of black children and and children of color put into special needs um, courses or classes because they may learn different or they have um, I hate I don't think these things are learning disabilities I think school is set up in such a boring way that a lot of kids are not fulfilled a lot of children are just not learning that way so anyway I'm an advocate for homeschooling because I think that um, children then can seek out different things that they may be interested in that they would have never explored in school sitting at a desk for freaking seven eight hours or whatever so yeah Um, moving on Oh, yeah. And we're more taught from a money based sense than a, um, like I said, linking the money, the money is linked to survival more than, okay, let's think about really enjoying where you're going to work. Like, where would you what would your ideal job be right now? If you're someone who is working um, for an employer, like, you could use that if you're someone who's looking to shift their career or you're thinking about a job change or you're not completely satisfied. Like I said earlier, do the exercise of um, 
asking yourself these questions like how am i feeling when i'm there what is the energy of my job like does the space even feel peaceful um do the customers that i encounter give me a hard time all the time or do i love all of my customers that i see so when you're thinking about this like think how much <laughs> I always think that when you are at a less stressful position, the money comes easier. I may be wrong, but that's just my theory. Um, but yeah, think of it in that terms and like connecting that to when you are teaching your child about um, working or entrepreneurship or business or money. How are you teaching them about it? And how are you reteaching yourself? Like, if you are someone who is um, unlearning a lot of old money mindsets or unlearning a lot of um, job mindsets, like, oh, a job is just to for survival, that is some deep root chakra uh, work that needs to happen. Through the years, oh, okay, so I read that already. The vast majority of women I talked to before writing this chapter, chapter agreed that they were not satisfied with working with their working lives, even though they see themselves as performing well on the job. I'm sure we've all had those jobs where we hated it, but our work ethic wouldn't let us like do something crazy. I know I've been there, even though, like I've said, yes, as I got older, I would, I felt like I had a voice in my workplaces, but when I was younger, I definitely stayed at places and kissed ass, um, even though I hated it, and when I think back, I'm like, oh, why did I ever stay there, or why did I let this manager treat me that way? Uh, let's see. That is why I talk so much about work-related stress in Chapter 4. It is practically impossible to maintain a spirit of emotional well-being if one is daily doing work that is unsatisfying, that causes intense stress, and that gives little satisfaction. Ooh, let me read that again. It is practically impossible to maintain a spirit of emotional well-being if one is daily doing work that is unsatisfying, that causes intense stress, and that gives little satisfaction. That's why I am a huge advocate for telling my clients uh, like find your passion seek out your passion because why be miserable at jobs like why do that to yourself and I am not telling everyone to quit their job and I am not telling everyone to um, be an entrepreneur I am telling everyone to seek out their passions that um, are fulfilling like I personally love working in restaurants right but I know for a fact that the next restaurant that I work at if I ever do would be a restaurant that I own 
Like, there's no way that I would ever go back and work for someone at a restaurant because I just know, like, yeah, it's just one of those things where I really enjoy that space. I enjoy having regulars. I enjoy um, talking about different food to my customers. I enjoy those things because, you know, I love nutrition um, and things like that. I love talking, learning new things about food. However, and I love how, I do love how the different pieces of the restaurant um, industry works. However, I just don't like, you know, I don't like that you have to work for tips. I don't like the super, um, like I said, like sexual harassment is kind of like the norm sometimes if you're not in a place, which usually you're not, which is ironic, but usually you are surrounded by men, whether it is the vendors, whether it's the delivery guys, whether it's the dishwashers, the cooks, the chefs, like it's usually male centered. And dealing with those types of things would I would never tolerate in my own restaurant. And I just like to run things a certain way. I like to be organized. I like to set people up for success. I like to give good customer service. But I know I can do that in my, um, in my own business. I know I can do that outside of working for someone else. And I know that a lot of us don't think of it in that way, like, oh, yeah, I do love doing this type of job, but maybe this company isn't right for me. Maybe there is a way that I could go into um, consulting uh, on my own or developing some type of business on my own or, just, like I said, finding your, just finding your place and finding your passion. That doesn't mean, like, I'm saying quit your job but like this sentence said like this one sentence sums it all up like you're not going to maintain a spirit of emotional well-being if you are going somewhere five to six days a week and you're unsatisfied like think of the most satisfying work you would do right now that could be maybe you're someone who sews Maybe you are into fashion. Maybe you're someone who is into um, making certain body products. Um, and you right now, maybe you work at like Sephora. Like you like doing that. You like selling. You like talking about the products. You like talking about the ingredients. But maybe Sephora is not for you. I don't know why I said Sephora. But anyway. You get my, where I'm, what I'm saying is you have to apply it to you. I'm not saying everyone go quit their job because I, this could easily be interpreted as that, but it's not like bell hooks is not even talking about that. She's talking about just being satisfied. You couldn't be satisfied from working at what's like a, a job labor, like a construction worker, um, someone who works in fast food all the way up to someone who is an executive or someone who is the CEO of your own business. All, everyone and everyone in between, like, are you satisfied? You could be sat, the person working at uh, McDonald's making middle, um, minimum wage could be more satisfied. We know that than the millionaire 
Ask Billionaire. Again and again, I found that many Black women I interviewed had far superior skills than the jobs they were performing called for, but were held back because of their lack of education or, in some cases, necessary experience. This routinely prevented them from moving upward. While they performed their jobs well, they felt added tension generated in the work environment by supervisors who often saw them as too uppity or by their own struggle to maintain interest in their assigned tasks. One white woman administrator shared that the clearly overskilled black woman who works as an administrative assistant in her office was resented by white male bosses who felt that she did not have the proper attitude of a subordinate. So yeah, these experiences are interesting in workplaces. Like I said, I could write a book about all of the, <laughs> the microaggressions that I faced working in um, different areas. So for my career, um, I, after I dropped out of college, I was kind of in a space of, oh my God, what do I do? All I ever wanted to do was be a doctor. I have no, and I dropped out of college for financial reasons and it kind of spiraled into, oh, I'm, I'm used to working. I didn't get back into looking like, okay, where should I go? Should I stay in pre-med? Should I do this? So I kind of was wandering around. I got into working in HR. It, I kind of like stumbled upon a job and that worked out. I worked in human resource sources. I worked in the healthcare field where I was an EMT. I've worked in hospitals. I then worked in service industry the most. Um, and then of course I have piece of food, my baby. And um, all of that combined, I have so many stories of experiences with um, not only white people, but all, but all types of different people and how they treated you and how they second guessed you, especially if you're a black woman. Uh, especially if your name's Letitia, but then you sound like this and you're, you know, I was always told since I was a child that I, I talk white. So it was always an interesting dynamic and topped with my knowledge of certain areas and I can go on for days. And if you are a black woman who has worked in different corporate settings um, and different office settings, you know that like you can be ignored, you're passed over for different things. You are, if someone asks you a question, they have to go get a second opinion just in case you're wrong. Like, and am I saying all of those experiences are because I was a black woman? No, but a lot of them, yes. A lot of uh, microaggressions and things like that. So. Very interesting. That's why I say go watch that movie Master because it's it's about academia, but it can apply to corporate. It can apply to you know the uh, other workplaces too. Okay, so when I spoke to this woman, she acknowledged not liking her job, stating that her lack of education and that and the urgent need to raise her children and send them to college had prevented her from working toward a chosen career. 
She holds to the dream that she will return to school someday and gain necessary education that will give her access to the career she desires and deserves. Work is so often a source of pain and frustration. Okay, so I'm just going to touch upon a few more places. I'm not going to read this whole chapter, but like I said, and I and like I will always say, it is you have to look at yourself as a whole being on a holistic level like all parts of you how is your career affecting you emotionally physically spiritually how are your stress levels and then stress is the biggest killer one of the biggest killers because it is linked to all of the other top you know top three um things that send us to an early grave right so how are you managing your stress and that's what i teach that's what i like to teach a lot of the times through piece of food is we are going to con be confronted with stressful situations but how are we uh responding and reacting to them and then what are we using like what are our tools to then um, help these stressful situations are you looking for solutions or are you just stuck in that groundhog day cycle of every day is the same I'm going to be stuck at this job forever I hate this job I'm never going to go back to school I'm never going to start this job like I hate everything about my life but I have to survive so I have to make this money I have to go to work every day so if you're stuck in that negative loop that I always talk about, so uh, what are the tools you're using to relieve these stressful situations if you're not then uh, changing your circumstances, right? Because we always have a choice. We have the choice to change our mindset or change the circumstance. And, you know, I'm not saying it happens overnight, and that's why the self-awareness, the journaling, all of these tools that I give you are to help you figure it out <clears throat> and to find your path, to find your channel, because your channel is going to look different from mine. Your channel may look different from my next client. And this is my cat when he cannot be in the same room as me. He tries to break down the door. Wow, animals are worse than children sometimes. <laughs> okay, so moving on, where was I? Okay, learning how to think about work and our job choices from the standpoint, oh, what I was saying was before I was interrupted by this cat is that you have the choice of changing your mindset or changing your circumstances so that can relate to any part of your circle of life your wheel of life where okay your career your relationships changing either your circumstances or your mindset so if you're at a place you don't um that you you really love the job you may not get along with your coworkers that much and you may not um love your boss but you love what you do and your clients are amazing so maybe you're just tweaking like hey this place isn't um this is how you t you you would tweak your mindset 
You don't want to quit, right? However, you just have to change your mindset on how you interact with your coworkers and interact with your, um, your manager, depending on the circumstances, right? If it's tolerable and if it's something you, you can, uh, you shift where maybe you are not there to make, uh, friends with your coworkers. So they are there to solely work with you and you have your friends outside of work. Uh, maybe your manager, you just start thinking like, okay, I don't have to take the, her tone personally, or I don't have to take um, her insecurities or her projections uh, personally, and then I won't be offended as easily, and I can do my job, and I can still work with my amazing clients and bring home this amazing paycheck. So that's just shifting your mindset, right? And again, if there is like abuse and like your boss sucks and like your coworkers are like doing really mean things to you, that's when you are changing your environment, right? But if you can change your mindset and still stay there and that's all cool with you, then that's what you work towards. Then how do you work towards those things? How do you work towards a better relationship with your boss or better relationship with your coworkers um, if you are staying there? And those are the so-called issues, right? Um, you can apply this to other parts of your life as well. So these are, these are the reasons why I talk about journaling and writing and being more inquisitive with yourself. Know thyself. Because most of the time we don't sit down and really take the time to do that and we don't know ourselves. Do you know what you even want out of a career? Do you want a career? Or do you want to, um, maybe you have a large amount of money saved. Maybe you can take time off and rest. That's another thing that we, we are really hard on ourselves because we are that super woman. We have to do everything and rest is, is like, what are we doing? I'm wasting time. Oh my God. I laid um, on this couch and I, wa I binge watched something like that's not always a bad thing, especially if you are always on the go, always a people pleaser, always a perfectionist, always doing a million things. I know that's something that I had to check myself with where Sometimes our productivity is linked to our self-worth, right? And I've talked about this before where that is connected to seeking outside um, validation. That is uh, connected to our um, perfectionism and people-pleasing and maybe connected to some traumas that we had. So if you're, if in your brain, productivity is literally linked and intertwined with your self-worth if you take a day of rest if you're sick and you take a day off then you are probably like beating yourself up so much I know that I experience and have experienced that on many different levels where go I would go to work sick I would um I don't know just find things to do to be productive but I'm not really being productive. And sometimes that happens too. You're just busy. You're not productive essentially because you are connecting that to your self-worth. If you don't do anything, then you're not worth anything. 
And that is just how capitalism is. It's connected to all types of things, but definitely capitalism, definitely how some of us were raised with our money mindset and how productive we should be and how you need to work and hustle yourself um, to the ground. That I guess it's, yeah, connected to that hustle mentality. And everyone is on a different level. So there are some people who that is how they perform. That's how they work. That's how they are going to probably work forever. And that's fine. But I don't think as a collective that energy is something we should be on. We shouldn't be on the work yourself to death or work until you're 60 and enjoy your life for five to 10 years and then die. And that's it. Like, no, I don't think that's how it should be. Um, but connecting the dots, like how that could be something else that you explore within yourself. Do you connect your self-worth to your productivity? And that's what kind of the workforce makes, ha like, ha that's what happens when we are in the workforce, usually. Because we do get that instant gratification, usually, from, let's say, a client or a coworker or a boss. Um same with school. So you're, we're always getting that external validation or not. Maybe we're always seeking it or not, but it's there. And it's something that um, a lot of us have to work on, you know, because rest is important. And knowing that you shouldn't stay somewhere that is causing you to be sick causing you to be stressed out every single day. Um, you have to know your self-worth, right? So essentially, this is what I talk about in my um, generational trauma healing course as well. When we link this to our career, we can link this to our family life too. But a lot of times we are in circumstances that are putting up a mirror to us. Are you going to know your self-worth? Like that is kind of, and this is going to be a, probably a uh, something that you guys don't agree, a lot of you don't agree with either. But when we are thinking about, if you're on TikTok, like that whole stormy video that was going around, she's, <laughs> I think that's what she was trying to say. I'm always a person that tries to see other perspectives. Um, I'm not saying I always agree with everybody or I'm not saying I agree with her. But the perspective that I was like thinking she was trying to <laughs> express to her mentee was like, you have to know your self-worth. You can't let somebody tell you your self-worth because they could give you... Um, shit and say it's gold and if you just believe them and you just go off of that just because just because you work there or just because they're your boss or just because they're this or just because you're a people pleaser like you have to know your worth like um I'm not accepting this no thank you like I'm worth more I know that within myself, so I don't know what you, like you're trying to show me. I know what I know, and that's what know thyself, um, like getting to the core of you and knowing your your core values, your core morals, your core 
um, like who you are spiritually at your core, like knowing that worth because you don't need the external validation. You don't need, um, you don't need that. However, um, you have to then recognize that when you are presented with things that, um, you know, you, you don't deserve, like you have to know your own worth and not just accept crumbs, essentially. I think that's where I'm going. I went all kinds of places. <laughs> okay, moving on. All right. Okay, so yeah, essentially the rest of the chapter goes on to speak about like just connecting to the right livelihood. Like I said, um, your passion, your gift, not just a job in a capitalist society, but that takes some shifting to do in some of our mindsets, right? Because then we can get to a place of um, more abundance. It's like I said, I think the happier happier you are, you'll get all the things you, you will need. And it may not just be, oh yeah, I'm getting a huge paycheck, but you're getting gifts. You're getting free things. You're getting the right people in your face. You're interacting with the right businesses. That is the abundance. You are feeling less stress. You are thriving and glowing and like, growing in ways you didn't know you could because holistically you're in a better space. That's why I always say you can't just look at one part of your life. You can't ignore the other parts. Like, yay, you're eating um so well and you're you're working out every day. Yay, but then you literally are so stressed out and crying from your job. Um, every other day, you know, so how how can you bring more equilibrium, how, more balance, more ma'at back into your life? That's why you have to know yourself. You have to know what you want and you have to know your worth. Okay. So I love her term, right livelihood. So essentially, um, she then goes on to connect it to a Buddhist teaching, which I love. I love Buddhism. This says, work consciously chosen, done with full awareness and care and leading to enlightenment. So essentially, that is the definition of right livelihood. And that is what a lot of people have been talking about when they're talking about finding your passion, finding your gifts, not in a way... See, the internet has a way of just turning things in a weird way, but everyone is allowed to have their opinion. But I do think everyone has a certain gift and a certain passion that they can connect to. Does that mean that you're going to make trillions of dollars off of it? No. Does that mean you are going to be like the next top uh, brand that's in the news? No. Does that mean that it even has something to do with a business? No. And I think that's where a lot of people mess up because your sole purpose and your sole gifts doesn't link to a capitalistic society that we live in. We have to shape and form our gifts 
in, in our soul purposes to um, live in this society or to exit this society, um, like to drop out of this society. However, that doesn't necessarily mean, like I said, I'm going to say this a lot because I think people have it twisted. This doesn't mean that everyone's going to have their own business. This just means seek out those things that bring you an abundance of joy and an abundance of peace. Like that could mean, like I always say, your hobbies or whatever, like you play a musical instrument. Does that mean that you want to play backup for Beyonce? That could mean you just want to go play in the middle of your town and like share the joy of music that way. Not everyone wants a music deal if you play a musical instrument. You know what I mean? So I just want to emphasize that because that's important because the message gets twisted sometimes because people are like, well, not everyone is built to be an entrepreneur. Not everyone is built to have a soul purpose or a soul gift. Honey, that could, it could, your soul gift could just mean that you take care of stray cats and you do it very well and it's fulfilling. And it brings you joy to put food outside and see them and see their new kittens. So that's what, that's what it means. Yes, it's a very trendy, it's a trending term. It's a trending new agey term. And within the new age community, there's a lot of BS. So just be mindful. That's where you use your intuition to, to decipher this information. That's why I always talk about know thyself. Because that's where you get confirmation. That's where you get like, oh, okay, that person is talking some BS. Let me scroll on or let me um, not get attached to this person's opinion and make me emotionally upset or, you know what I mean? So, yeah, so, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so the Buddha says, uh, right livelihood is work that is consciously chosen, done with full awareness and care and leading to enlightenment. <clears throat> okay, so finding and doing work of this sort is predicated upon high self-esteem and self-trust. See, what did I say about your self-worth? Since only those who like themselves, who subjectively feel they are trustworthy and deserving, dare to choose on behalf of what is right and true for them. And that sentence statement could come off a little, um, no, it is what it is. It said she said what she said. I don't I think that's a quote from someone else. I don't think that's from This is that quote was from Marsha Sintar, a book called Do What You Love, The Money Will Follow. Okay. So what she's saying is literally what I said. Like knowing yourself. Do you know your your worth? Do you trust yourself? Do you have a high self-esteem where you trust yourself enough to use your gifts to bring in abundance? Use your gifts to fulfill that, I don't want to say whole, maybe there is a whole because you haven't been uh, 
pursuing these things. So like I said in the past, and I will always use this quote because it helps me when I'm losing self-esteem and losing confidence. When you don't trust in your gifts, it's like you don't trust in God or you don't trust in the universe. So it's kind of like when you're trying to manifest something, if you don't believe in yourself, that thing is not going to come. So it's like, what are you doing? And this part has to do with your solar plexus chakra. And I have an ebook on my website um, to balance that, to work on that area of your life, because that has to do with that self-esteem, that self-confidence, where when you build that up, you you won't have any fear. You will let that fear go. You will know, like, I don't care what other people think. I'm working on my gifts. I know I have this to share with the world. And when I say the world, the world can be, like I said, the stray cats. Or it could be literally the world. You are going, you want to be famous, uh, use your gifts to literally share with thousands and thousands or millions of people. So that depends on your work and your gifts. She goes on to say, when we consciously choose to do work we enjoy, not only can we get things done, we can get them done well and be intrinsically rewarded for our effort. So like I was saying, the abundance will come in in different forms and it will just come So this says, as black females collectively develop greater self-esteem, a greater sense of entitlement, we will learn from one another's example how to practice right livelihood. Of the black women I interviewed, the individuals who enjoyed their work the most felt they felt they were realizing a, part, a particular vocation or calling. CJ, now almost 40, recalls that generations of her family were college educated. She was taught to choose work that would be linked with the political desire to enhance the overall well-being of Black people. CJ says, I went to college with a mission and a passion to have my work be about African Americans. The spirit of mission came to me from my family who taught us that you don't just work to get money. You work to create meaning for yourself and other people. Ashe. So with that being said, again, have you taken the time to analyze the work that you do? And if it's fulfilling, how can you look at your work versus your wellness? Again, I'll say it again. How can how do you look at your work versus your wellness? Because a lot of times these places don't care about us. <laughs> we know that. We know that for a fact that like, oh yeah, we quit. The next day they'll have someone replacing us. Oh, we die. The next day they have someone replacing us. They don't even care. 
So it's very important to be mindful of something that you do for a majority of your life, right? Like, because if you are, even if you are a workaholic and that's something that you're going to do you forever or whatever, like, make it be fulfilling, you know, make it be something that brings you some sort of happiness. And like this says, seek out those things that lead you to um, creating more meaning for yourself and others. Like she said, I lost the quote, sorry. (laughs) So is your job meaningful? And again, not everyone is going to maybe resonate with this. And then that means this isn't for you because not everyone is thinking like, oh, my job needs to be fulfilling. You know, you know who you are. If you are um, someone who is, I guess, miserable at your job and you know you want different, you know you deserve better, you know you are worth more, like then this information is for you. This is your time to sit down and write out that Snapchat of this area of your life. And as we move through this book more and more, we're gonna touch upon different areas of your life where within my coaching business, I call it like the circle of life, where it's like a wellness wheel. And you can find these online or if you if you want this, I can send it to you. Just um, email me pieceoffood at gmail.com. And it's a little circle. Um, I do this with all my clients. I think I even have it in a few free resources on my website or in my ebooks. So if you've purchased ebooks, you might have seen this. And it's how I help my clients map out their goals. It's with um, this wheel. And each part of your life, you're kind of ranking how you're feeling. So you would do the your career, your relationships, your social life, um, your home environment, so forth. We go through each area on a holistic level and map it out. So like I said earlier, taking that snapshot, taking the time to get to know yourself. Because when we think about it, right, think about everyone's always talking about like their love life, their relationships and getting to know people and getting to know your partner. But sometimes we don't even know ourselves, right? So how do you get to know your partner or get to know someone when you're dating? You ask them questions. So that's what journal prompts are. Um, You are like really inquisitive. You want to get to know them. So Do you feel the same for yourself? Do you want to get to know yourself if, um, if you don't feel like you, you are there yet with yourself, like you're confused at where you're at. You don't have goals. You want goals though. You want to work towards something. You don't even know where to start. So that's where I come in. I help you with that. Um, and this is super important because this stress from your your job like it shouldn't exist like it should be fulfilling no matter what it is so let's see a couple other things i highlighted 
Many of us work hard to unlearn the socialization that teaches us that we should just be lucky to get any old job. Yeah, that's another one. That's a huge one. Know what you deserve and know that like, yeah, you should have great working conditions. You should be treated fairly. Let's see. I think I'm going to end it there. But the chapter is called Work Makes Life Sweet, right? So is work making your life sweet or is it making it sour? Do you want to enjoy going to work? Do you have like that work ethic um, where you go to your job and I'm not saying that you are working yourself uh, to the ground, but you're working, you're fulfilled, people are treating you fairly, like you not feeling, I'm not saying feeling complacent, like, but feeling fulfilled, like, are you feeling sweet? Like, does it make you feel sweet? Does it make you feel like happy? Like, I know when I personally have worked with clients and when I've worked in the service industry and I've had regulars, let's say, I was fulfilled by that. I was fulfilled by, I feel like I was a, a coach to <laughs> some of my regulars, especially when I was bartending, like, because uh, people will tend to tell you all, all their problems. So I was a coach and a bartender all in one. So are you fulfilled no matter where you're working, no matter what you're doing, is that fulfilling to you? And are you seeking out your passions? Are you utilizing your gifts? Um, and are you, yeah, are you connecting to that sweetness that work can be, that service can be? Because work is service, no matter what time it is, what, what time it is, no matter what type of job it is, like I said earlier. So you are serving people, right? No matter what, you're serving someone or something. So make sure it's sweet. So I'll end it there. So that was chapter three. The next episode will be chapter four, knowing peace an end to stress. Ooh, that's going to be a good chapter. So I will end it with um, a little plug for a piece of food. So visit my website uh, for a deeper dive into having a more fulfilling life and getting to know yourself. If you are someone you don't know where to start, you are on your holistic journey, you're on your spiritual journey, and you're kind of like all over the place, and you just need a little push right in, into the right direction. You need um, an accountability partner. That would be me. So tap into one-on-one -on -one coaching uh, with Piece of Food with me. I have my inner child healing e-course available on my website um, and I have ebooks and some free resources like I said on there for you as well so visit um, my website and thank you for listening to the piece of food wellness podcast I hope you have a blessed day and I hope you enjoyed um, the sisters of the yam series thus far have an amazing day peace